You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. focused, outwardly focused. But to be an outwardly focused church, we must be inwardly strong. Let me say that again. To be an outwardly focused church, we must be inwardly strong with inner strength and unity by the work of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that, we cannot support any outward focus, nor can we support each other. When flying on an airplane, you're instructed to put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. The same concept is true regarding your personal walk with the Lord. The church can't truly reach the world for Jesus unless the church has first repented and been filled anew with the Holy Spirit. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Disciples' Responsibility. When I came down here to Pastor Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in February of 2010, the Lord had given me a vision for this church. I had studied, prayed, and sought as to where I would take the church. Not that there was anything wrong with the church I was now becoming the pastor of. They had come a long way since 2001 when they've incorporated, and they were moving in the right direction. The pastor, Bob Lambert, had taught line by line, verse upon verse. He had rooted and grounded the saints in God's word. So where would I take them? What would I do? And as I studied and as I prayed, the Lord gave me a vision for this church. And the vision is found in Acts chapter 2. And let me read you what he said in verses 40 through 47. You don't have to turn there. I'll read there for you. Remember, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the new believers in the upper room. They began to speak in tongues, and everybody was curious at why these people were speaking in their own languages, giving glory to God. Peter gets up and he gives this magnificent sermon, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the giver of the gifts, talking about the delight that they can have, and talking about salvation through Jesus Christ. So, We get down to verse 40 in chapter 2, and as Luke records this, he says, And with many other words, he testified. Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So the church of God went from about 120 to 3,000 in a matter of moments. Beautiful, beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful work of the beginning of what we call the church. So what do you do with 3,000 new converts? What do you do with 3,000 new people who now have decided to accept the Lord and who now come in and they need to be discipled? They need to be taught the word of God. So we find as we move on, we find out what they did in verse 42. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. In fellowship, the meaning here is koinonia, which is spirit-filled fellowship one to another. Prayer and the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is twofold. Eating, you know how we like to eat here at Calvary Chapel. And communion, which we're going to take today. So breaking of bread has a twofold meaning. This is what the early church did. This is what the church was based upon. And this is what the vision that the Lord was giving me to bring down and reconnect Calvary Chapel to this vision. He says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, that's unity, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people, which is important. And here's the kicker. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So with this in mind, I sat before the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to teach the saints here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, or basically reconnect them with you? Or how can we move forward? Because I felt the church needed to move forward. And the Lord gave me four basic things. The first part of the vision was to love God. You know the commandment, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The second one was to teach his word. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The third one has to do with what we're studying today, to love the saints, to share love one another to the saints. And finally, the fourth one was to press onward. Forgetting the things which are behind, I press onward to the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That was the vision that the Lord had given me. By enacting this vision, if you will, my ultimate goal was for us to be able to reach this community for Jesus Christ. Our ultimate goal was for us to be able to take what we know here, out there. And you've heard me say many, many times that we need to learn here and take it out there. And then we need to share with them out there. What do we share? We share the love that Jesus Christ has so lavishly given us. The love that Jesus Christ has freely given to us. We want to be outwardly focused. Outwardly focused. But to be an outwardly focused church, we must be inwardly strong. Let me say that again. To be an outwardly focused church, we must be inwardly strong with inner strength and unity by the work of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that, we cannot support any outward focus, nor can we support each other. We need that unity that is found in the love of Jesus Christ. So as we grow in our outward focus, which I see is growing, we have a study at um, the manor. We have a study at um, the commons. We have a study at, I, I forgot Irene's, Conifer. Thank you, I forgot the name of it. We have a study at Conifer. We, we have a study and time at the campground. We do other things, praise in the park. We do a lot of other various things. We're looking for even more types of things that we can reach out. We need to support each other in that. And as we grow in that focus, we need to grow in our inner strength. We need to grow in the inner strength. We cannot give out what we do not possess. If you don't possess it in here, you're going to fall on your face if you try to give it out there. This is the one reason here at Calvary Chapel we teach the Bible word for word. 
line by line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept. Why? Because he's knowing God's word. When you know God's word, you become strong inwardly. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can draw on that strength that is within, and then you can boldly give outwardly. You need to be relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have the strength to do the things that God has called us to do. And then he empowers you to do them. To try to do them without the Holy Spirit is foolish. It's trying to like run your boat without gas or without a propeller. It doesn't work. So the next question would be, what does it take for us to be inwardly strong? What does it take? Well, sprinkled through the New Testament are 95 of what I call one another passages. 95 throughout the whole New Testament of one another passages. What I mean by one another verses is that these verses describe how we are to treat each other. They're described how we're supposed to treat one another. In the house of God specifically, I'm talking about saints. Remember the third vision, love the saints? I'm talking about loving each other here. Listen to some of these verses. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony one in another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Colossians 3, 16. Teach and admonish one another. Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. However, in our verses this morning in John 13, from whence we've come and now here we are, we see what I'm calling the granddaddy of all one another verses. It's the culmination of one another verses. And without this one verse, forget the others. Forget the others without this one verse in your heart. The verses this morning, Jesus clearly commands us to love one another. He commands us to love those that are of the house of God. He commands us. And he says, there's a reward for that. The reward is, people will know your mind. And if people know your mind, they will want what you have. And they, in turn, will be drawn to me. The whole purpose. In Scripture, there are nine times when we are called to love one another. Three different authors in four different books give this principle. Listen to the roles that it plays. We go back to the verses that we've read. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Serve one another in love. Be humble, gentle, patient in love. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. You cannot be a one another church without love. You cannot be a one another church without love. You cannot be an outward focused church without the inward focus of loving one another. From this, all things flow. From this one verse, all things flow. So as we read these verses this morning, we find that this one verse is the only love one another or one another verse that comes directly from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This comes directly from his mouth. We always say from our lips to God's ears, or from God's ears to our, or from God's lips to our ears, may we have ears to hear. 
May we have ears to hear. This one verse shows us a disciple's responsibility. And as I said, from this one verse, everything else flows forth. But if we don't have this one verse down, Scripture says we could be like clanging cymbals. We could be like hard things coming out. We could be just impossible. We've been studying John 13. And Jesus has shown the sovereign servant by washing the disciples' feet. He has shown the sovereign servant by serving his disciples and even Judas. And now he becomes the master teacher once again. Ever since he identified Judas as the traitor and Judas got up and left, Jesus is now doing one thing with his guys, his boys, the 11 that are left. He's preparing them for his crucifixion, his arrest, his resurrection, and the ultimate return to his father. He has much to tell them, but he has so little time. So little time. The first thing Jesus told them was now. Now is the time. The hour had come. He, Jesus, the Son of Man, would be glorified now. Now God would be glorified. Jesus was telling his disciples that now the work would be finished. The time was now. The time had come. This is the reason I've come to the earth now. But Jesus knew that upon his death, the disciples would be devastated. He knew they would be confused. He knew that they would be in despair. He knew that they would possibly scatter. He knew that they would be vulnerable to outsiders, and he wanted them to be as close a knitted group as they possibly could. And this could hap happen without love for one another. It would be the love for one another that would hold them together as a close-knit group. Love for Jesus and love for one another. That would hold them together. And we begin looking at this perfect love in verse 33 this morning. I love the way Jesus talks to his disciples. And you can take it personally. I love the way Jesus talks to us. Listen to 33a. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Don't you hear a tender heart? Don't, don't you just hear an intimacy there? Little children. This just touches me. The Greek word here, technion, it always inclines a care or a concern. It's a word of tender mercy. And Jesus was one who always showed tender mercy. He always showed tender mercy. And one of the greatest examples of that was the poor woman caught in an issue of blood for 12 years. She knew in her heart that all she had to do was touch the hem of his robe and she would be clean. She knew that for years and years and years, every time she walked down the street, unclean, unclean, they'd throw rocks at her and spit upon her and walk on the other side of the street. She never heard a kind word, possibly from her parents, possibly from her children, from anybody. She never heard a kind word. And she somehow gets through the crowd. I don't know how she did it. Remember, they parted when they saw her. Ugh. And she reaches up and touches the hem of his robe. And he turns around and said, who touched me? The disciples said, who touched you? There's a thousand people around you. Who didn't touch you? No, power has gone out of me. And he looks right down at her. And what does he say? Why did you touch me? No. He goes, daughter. She had never been called that in years. A tender, tender voice reaches out and says, daughter, daughter. I've never seen such faith. He, he reacts in such a passionate and loving way. And it 
caring way. And this is how Jesus speaks to us. He never scolds. He speaks to us in a tender voice. And I'll be the first one to say, and he can correct me because he usually does, but I'll be the first one to say, all those times you read in the Bible when he's saying, oh, ye of little faith to his disciples, he's got a smile on his face. Oh, ye of little faith. He's just smiling away like, you guys are going to get it one time, but right now you're kind of stupid. Oh, ye of little faith. You know? But he's so tender and he's so joyful. This is, you know, the world doesn't want to see this type of Jesus. I want to see the manly man. He is a manly man, but he was also tender and caring and concerned. He said this in concern. He was talking talking to them about being glorified. They have no idea what he was talking about. What do you mean you're going to be glorified? They didn't have any full comprehension. In fact, even on the day of his ascension, they thought he was going to renew the kingdom. On the day of his ascension, right before he goes up to be with the Father, the disciples say, are you going to restore the kingdom now, Lord? No, no. They were still hoping for a crowning. But Jesus is now making it clear when he says, I'm only going to be with you in a little, for a little while. Within mere hours, he will be arrested. The trial and, and crucifixion will be underway. And he knows that they had relied on him for everything. He knows that their hopes for the immediate setting up of the kingdom were going to be devastated. So in the most tenderest of terms, he's trying to prepare them for the calamity that's going to befall them. He's trying to prepare them for what is about to happen in their lives. I think it's so important that Jesus prepares us for these things before they come. He prepares our heart with his love. He prepares us heart. When we are strong inward in that love, we are strong. Look at the rest of 33. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. He's basically saying, remember when I said to the Jews, I'm not going to be here and you can seek me, you're not going to find me? Remember I said to them, well, you can't find me either. You can't come. But he wasn't really saying you can't come. Because to the Jews, he said, you're going to die in your sins. He was saying, you can't come now. You can't come now. I have work for you to do. And in the translation of the phrase, where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews thought he was going to kill himself. He was referring to his death, by the way, but certainly not by killing himself. He was referring to his death on the cross. He knew that the disciples were going to be afraid. He knew that this would be a most trying time for them. He knew that his goal was to unify them and build them up inwardly so that we could stand the persecution that was coming from outside forces. And he said he wanted them to be tightly bonded together. So he doesn't even give his his disciples a chance to respond. He doesn't even give them a chance to respond. He just goes right into it and said, I have a new command for you. Here's a new command. Look at 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Interesting. If you look at the verbiage in the Greek, the word for new implies fresh. Fresh, not worn out. It's not recent, it's different, a fresh love. It isn't a commandment that was just invented. He's taken an old commandment that has been around since the law, all through scriptures, and he's using it in a different way. And that's what Jesus does. When the lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, how did he respond? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He declared to him that this was the summation of all the law and the prophets. But sadly, 
through the centuries of selfishness, through the centuries of self-centeredness, and because of all the cures and cares of the world, the Jews had forgotten this. So they cast this commandment aside. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to reinvent it. Love one another. What a concept. Love one another, especially in this day and age. When all the focus on this day and age is self. Self. Let me tell you, let me talk about me for a while. When I'm done talking, you can tell me about me. The focus is always on self. What a concept. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus gives these men the greatest responsibility that he could possibly give them, the responsibility to show love one to another. And folks, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is not a suggestion. He didn't stand there and say, you know, probably should love one another. Might not be a bad idea if you love one another. Yeah, you know, you probably get a little further if you loved one another. No, he said, love one another. This is a commandment. Amen. A commandment. Amen. Not a suggestion. There will come a time when Jesus will say to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I say? Are you calling him Lord, Lord today, but not doing what he says? It's a heavy load, guys. He knows that in a matter of time, they're going to need this love. When Jesus is taking from them and the outspoken, bold Peter falls in front of them, everybody assumed that Peter might have been in leadership. We don't know. The only thing that would bring them back together was their love for Jesus and their love for each other. That's the only thing that was going to reunite them. But Jesus isn't satisfied with that. Not my Jesus. <laughs> I love it. He's not satisfied with that because he says, love one another. Then he goes, oh, as I have loved you. Oh, wait a minute. As I have loved you. We sang this morning, nobody loves me like you do, Jesus. Nobody does me at all. I can't love that way. So Jesus says, here you go, guys. Love one another. Oh, yeah, as I've loved you. That's right. It could be a deal breaker. How has Jesus loved them? How has Jesus loved them? How has Jesus loved you? Well, let me tell you. First of all, he loved you with a selfless love. He always put others first. He loved them by serving love. He just got finished washing their feet. They saw him washing each other's feet. They saw him doing that. They loved them. Now, we're talking about the house of God here. We're talking about each other. He loved them with a steadfast love. It says he loved them to the end. His love never died. He loved them with a sanctifying love. It was a holy love, a love based on God. And he's going to love them with a sacrificial love when he goes to the cross and hangs there and dies for each one of them and each one of you. Whenever we get to John 15, he says in verse 13 of John 15, speaking on the same topic, he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.